my hope is that by sharing my vulnerability and by sharing my journey twofold. One, I hope that it helps people realize that whatever you're going through, whatever you've been taught, whatever you think the shoulds are, be gentle on yourself. And the other part of the twofold is I think that we're hurting ourselves and we're hurting our children when we don't live our authentic selves. Nothing has inspired me to be stronger or bolder or more determined than becoming a mom. Motherhood has empowered me to take enormous leaps of faith. At times because I've had to, and at other times because I've wanted to. Because there's something about raising other humans that compels me to live my life in a way that gives them a living example of what I hope and want for them. As I agonized over whether I should leave my very stable and very secure job to start neighbor schools, I knew deep inside that I had to give neighbor schools my all. Being my authentic self and following my own dreams was the best way I could inspire Hudson to do the same. It was scary as hell to take that leap, but it's wild how motherhood gives you strength you never even knew you had. Hi, I'm Bridget Garsh, co-founder of Neighbor Schools and your host for Work Like a Mother, a podcast dedicated to real conversations with incredible women juggling work, life, and motherhood. Today, I'm beyond excited to sit down with Alexandra Fisher. Alexandra was born to be a mom, and she knew it from a young age. She even remembers as a child volunteering to change diapers so she could spend more time with them. So when she turned 30, still single and determined as ever to have kids of her own, she decided not to wait any longer and go for it. On today's episode, Alexandra shares her infertility journey, her experience with IVF, her ectopic pregnancy, her life as a single mom to two incredible kids, and her journey coming out as her authentic self to and for her kids. Welcome. Thank you so much for joining me on Work Like a Mother. I am really excited to hear your story and to share it with everyone who's listening. And I would love for you to tell us your journey to becoming a parent. Okay. Well, first of all, thank you for having me. I really appreciate that. Um, So my journey to become a parent is, is definitely different from the norm. Um, at 30 years old, um, my dad, my stepdad was battling cancer. We thought he wasn't going to make it. And I had wanted to have a child, um, in my twenties, I had considered doing it on my own, but I got a lot of resistance from, um, you know, the people in my life. Um, and so I didn't do it. And then when my dad got cancer and, we really thought he wasn't going to make it. It just put in perspective that like life is short. If there's something you want to do, do it. Mm -hmm. Um, And I realized that at 30, I was still single and wanting to have a child and I would be okay not getting married and not having a partner. But I can honestly tell you, I would not be okay 
not being a mom. It's just what I was born to do. Life just didn't have meaning without kids for me. Um, I know that that's not for everybody. So I don't want to like insinuate, like that's how moms should feel like, no, but for me, that's what it was. So when I got to 30 and I knew that I was getting older and it could be a struggle to get pregnant, I knew that I didn't want to just have one. So I wanted to be able to give myself time. And in hindsight, after I struggled to get pregnant, and then after I had a child and was like, I want to wait a little longer than I thought between the two. Um, I'm so grateful that I, that I started when I did, because had I started at 38, I probably would not have my daughter. So, um, so I started, uh, at like 30, um, I started with IUI, then I went to IVF, um, and the second round of IVF, which was about a year after I, um, started the process, mm-hmm. I got pregnant with my son and had him when I was almost 32. And then like three years later, I had my daughter. Oh, amazing. What an amazing journey. And there are so many things that I, so many questions that I have just based on that little bit of your story. How did you know that you always wanted to be a mom? You shared how you felt like it was something you were born to do. What did that, those feelings like look like? So when I was little, um, I was the youngest of four older, uh, sorry, three older brothers. And when I was little, like as long as I can remember, I was obsessed with babies. When I was so little that moms would not want, like they wouldn't feel comfortable letting me hold their babies Mm -hmm. because I was like such a young kid. If my parents had like at our Christmas parties, um, I would go up to the moms and I'd be like, can I hold your baby? And they'd be like, ah, if you sit down, (laughs) like maybe, and you could tell they were scared. But then I said, can I change your baby's diaper? And it was like, all the parents would give me their babies to change their diapers. What mom is like, no, I want to change my baby's right, diaper. Right. So <laughs> it sounds like nurturer. I love to help. And, and that you wanted to help people. And I know just a few minutes when we were chatting before our conversation, um, for the podcast, you were saying how you were an EMT. So did that will or, or that desire to nurture others really play yeah. out in, in your career choice too? It did. So the majority of our work is handholding. Mm-hmm. And, and that's a good thing. That's a good thing that not everybody needs CPR. That's a good thing that not everybody is, you know, going into anaphylaxis or, or, needing to be peeled out of cars. Mm -hmm. Um, I think there's not enough value put on supporting one another, Mm -hmm. just support, just nurturing. So yes, um, I'm an EMT. I absolutely love it. But what I try to tell people is even more than like, we're we're not treating, right? Mm Mm-hmm. We're really supporting and, and that I, I love that. And I loved that about my patient. 
I'm smiling because as you're talking, you're reminding me that with my first, my oldest Hudson, we took an ambulance to the hospital because I labored at home and I, all of a sudden things changed and my contractions were a minute apart and a minute long. And we talked to our doula and our doula said, you need to go now. And we were on the top floor of three flights of stairs. And my husband is not a like comfortable with a paper cut. So let alone delivering a baby at home is his worst nightmare. Um, and we called 911 and it was rush hour too. So we knew we weren't going to make it to the hospital. And did you deliver in the ambulance? Did not know, which I think the EMTs were very relieved that they made, that everyone made it to the hospital. They seemed. So it's funny because it's a split. I'll, I'll let you know behind the scenes. It's a split. Part of us are like, have the baby with us. We want to, yes. Like I would be so excited. And then there's part of, you know, the industry or whatever you want to call it. Who's like, no, 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 no. I would like to pedal to the metal, get that mama to the hospital. Like I don't want to yes. mess with that. So it's funny because it is, it's a split between, did you get the people who are like, let's labor here. And right. the people who are like, no, no, it was all men. Everybody like the fire department <laughs> came. They had yeah. to help carry me out of the house. Like it was a very dramatic awesome. situation. Um, and I think all of the men looked a little terrified, like, oh yeah. my goodness, she might have the baby right now in, in the ambulance, I but we it. made it. And as soon as we got there, um, they were like, oh, this baby has dark hair and is coming now. This is my biggest fear was we would get there and they would check and say, oh, you know, you're five centimeters, your first yeah. baby go home. Yeah. And that this I would have been, first baby? oh, yeah. I forgot that part that oh, I would have been oh, exaggerating wow. the whole thing. But, um, but we that's got the there. whole thing yeah. is that I see most of my patients are concerned or embarrassed or apprehensive because they're not sure, is this worthy of calling 911? And the truth is, if EMTs only responded to true life-threatening calls, I don't know that we'd really have much of a business. So yeah. you shared this beautiful story of the, uh, how you came to conceive your son and then how long did you wait before having your daughter? And what did that journey look like? Okay. So I wanted to have my kids very close in age. Um, I wanted them to be about, I don't know, a year and a half apart, um, two max. And I had my son, And I was like, and I loved it, loved, loved, loved it. But I was like, wow, this is a bit harder than I thought. I am not ready to bring another into this. Um, And I really enjoyed our time together, to be honest. Mm -hmm. Um, It was hard to make the decision to split up that time because I had all my energy for him. Um, I say all my energy, but I didn't have much energy. So I guess that's why I was like, a little apprehensive to go for, for another, but so I waited and I waited until my son was, uh, three 
to start the process again, which was later than I had wanted, but you know, um, it was the right time for me and my family. And I thought it would be fast to have another because I wasn't going to do IUI this time. I knew that IVF and I had two embryos frozen. So, and I'd gotten pregnant with my son, the second transfer. So I thought it, I just didn't think it would be a problem. So I started again in October of 2019 and um, I used one embryo the first month of IVF and the next embryo the next month and neither took. And I was devastated because now I'm realizing that of five embryos, I only got one pregnancy. Mm. And so I was really, I I got really nervous. That being said, I didn't genetically test the first batch. Um, It was suggested to me that I did. And in my uneducated about science and this stuff, mind, I felt like by doing genetic testing, you're taking a couple cells from something that is only a couple cells. And so I thought, I don't know, that just doesn't, that can't be good. So I wanted to leave the embryos as whole as I could. When I was going to do the process again, they suggested, they strongly suggested, they said, we really think you need to do genetic testing. And I asked around and learned about it. And I did do the genetic testing. Interestingly enough, I got six healthy embryos out of this retrieval, which was more than I had gotten the first time. Hmm. And they were genetic tested. So I was uh, happy for that. And so the first month I put in um, the embryo and I did get pregnant though, uh, that baby was ectopic. So that was devastating because I was pregnant and, um, you know, I'll, I'll always think of that as my baby. Mm -hmm. Um, and, and I wanted that baby like so much, you know, I had to have surgery to get my fallopian tube out. And, and that was also really hard because in that moment, my baby was alive. Mm. She was living. And so doing that surgery really freaked me out because my baby was alive and I was going to have to take her out, had the ectopic surgery, which was, you know, really difficult in a lot of ways, but obviously the right decision. It took healing and then cycling. Um, I got pregnant with my daughter and it was amazing and wonderful. Um, But I was terrified the whole time. Mm -hmm. I was terrified in a way that I wasn't with my son, um, which was really odd to me, but I think it had to do with losing the baby in between. Um, I mean, like, that's why I say to people, every pregnancy is different. That anxiety is our protective nature and our love. And that being said, moms who don't have that anxiety, don't love their kids any less. It's just, 
it was, it, it was definitely a different experience having my daughter than having my son. I think so much of it too, is that, that worry and that anxiety in some sense is preparing you for those really difficult times so that when those difficult times happen, maybe this is overgeneralizing, but moms in particular are just so ready to like spring into action, move into that survival mode space. And I think part of that is because they've sort of thought about, oh, this could be a scenario that happens and therefore I'm more ready for it. And I'm, I'm ready to like, take it on in some sense. I don't know. That's my sure observation in some ways. Yeah. Yeah. And I think it's just important that as moms, dads, parents, we just try to be gentle with ourselves because the truth is if you really want to become a parent and to have kids, you're invested as people who love another person and feel invested in their life. It feels like almost everything is going to be concerning because it's like, you know, it's not concerning necessarily in a bad way, but we're invested. We want to make sure that we're protecting these angels, mm-hmm. you know, you care so deeply. Huge, yeah. Yeah. And I think that that's also a huge burden. So now if I'm doing the math, right, this means that your son is five. Okay. And your daughter is one. Okay. One. Yeah. She'll be one in um, three days. Oh, wow. So really almost one. She's very, yeah. very close. When, after you had your son, you went back to being an EMT. Yes. I actually became Lieutenant. After I had my son, I became Lieutenant at the fire department. What was that experience like? What was it like to go back um, after leave? So I actually, I only stopped for a short time. I then took, I want to say three months after my son was born, um, where I didn't even go to the fire department because, I mean, we're around sick people. So it's like, and my son was born in September. So that's, you know, uh, winter, like the start of winter. And so I, I want to say I stayed away for like three months, but then it was a really beautiful thing. Like my, I worked, I was a Lieutenant at the fire department in my district. Um, and so all the people who were volunteers there, they, they were all friends. Um, and we all lived near one another. We're from a small town. And so when I would go on calls, uh, like my chief and his girlfriend would take care of my son and he grew up in the firehouse. And so he would sit in the radio room when they would be, you know, uh, talking to the ambulance or whatever. And it was really a very special thing to be able to do that where we would be hanging out at the firehouse and the fire you know, whistle would go off. And I'd look, if it was an EMS call, I would look and, you know, see who do I hand my son to, you know, who, who plays with him today? Um, I kept a stroller there and some extra diapers and, 
it was really great. And he, he went to, I want to say a few drills, but very, very few um, of the trainings. Uh, but he was there for a lot of calls where he wasn't like on scene, but right. he was at the firehouse and he would help us like when we had to clean the trucks for parades mm-hmm. or whatever he was there. And, and that was, that was a very special, special time. And like, he actually, another very special thing was he went to um, one of my life save awards where I got uh, like honored for saving somebody's life and to be able to have that award and take a picture with my son in my mm-hmm. arms was just like, it was amazing. Wow. So special. Yeah. It really brings to life that idea of it takes a village. Like you had yes. the village there to oh, yeah. support you. Yeah. People say to me like, um, how do you do it on your own? And I'm like, no, 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 I, I don't do it on my own. I don't, I don't believe I could do it on my own. Um, I have support. Um, now it's harder because we're in a pandemic and you can't just call somebody, you know? So fast forward. Now you give birth right before the pandemic yeah. really hits. And did you know that you were not going to go back to being an EMT so, after she was born? Or was that something that evolved and changed as you were on leave? So when I was trying for my second child, I had a really bad call with a baby. Besides the fact that the call was disturbing, um, I really felt like I am all my children have Mm -hmm. and I need to stay safe and they need to stay safe. And as EMTs, we are going into the sickest of the sick Mm -hmm. and the scariest of the scary. Mm -hmm. And it just got to a point. I I had that call and then um, I had two uh, major car accidents and, I'm putting myself in precarious situations Mm -hmm. and I am the only one really for my children. And after I lost the first baby, I then realized I had to be really careful, um, not moving too much. You know, I mean, we're going to car accidents, we're going around, uh, smoke and cause I was, you know, part of the fire department. So I just felt like I needed to focus on my health, um, not being stressed, um, being healthy, staying safe for my kids. And so I went on maternity leave when I started trying for my daughter. I still did logistics. So I was able to do that. And I loved that. And I'm I'm still a member. Um, I'm not a lieutenant as of almost a year now. Then when I was, when I had my daughter, I never came off maternity because COVID Mm -hmm. and I feel terrible about that because I mean, I want to help people. It's why I went into the field and I hate that 
my friends who I consider family are on the front lines and I'm not helping out. Um, so I do have guilt about that, but I also feel like it goes back to why I went on maternity leave early Mm -hmm. because I need to take care of my kids and I can't take that chance. That's, I think, also why I kind of have redirected my energy to social media and trying to help people and encourage people that way, because it feels like a more safe way that I could encourage people and help people and support people and love people and all of that wonderful stuff I can do from the safety of my home while hugging my children. One of the posts that you've done that I really just so appreciate is your post about coming out and you really want to use, it seems your platform to support and uplift other LGBTQ moms. How, absolutely. How do you do that? How do you think about that? So it's it's hard because um, I was really late to find out that I was gay or to accept that I was gay. Um, so I I can't you know really speak to people who who know they're gay and they come out early and you know oh they're my idols. I, I wish I had known then, but I do know that. I didn't come out till I was in my thirties because of that shame and it's unnecessary. It's just unnecessary. Like should never be ashamed of who you are as long as you're not hurting yourself or anybody else. And um, I think it's just, it's so sad that so many people are hurting because they're not living their authentic self. My hope is that by sharing my vulnerability and by sharing my journey twofold, one, I hope that it helps people realize that whatever you're going through, whatever you've been taught, whatever you think the shoulds are, be gentle on yourself. And the other part of the twofold is I think that we're hurting ourselves and we're hurting our children when we don't live our authentic selves. You have such a sense of like optimism and you just radiate calm and hope, which is really wonderful to be on the receiving end of that. How do you find strength? I know we're just talking about how it's not, it's not possible for you to have that all the time. Right. Um, Oh my God. No. What are your sources of strength when maybe it's hard to have that hope or optimism? What's helped me is first of all, the online community and seeing that there are so many other moms um, and people who are struggling in the same way. Uh, It's literally just hard times. At the same time, I'm realizing that our hardships don't make us weak. Mm. Our hardships actually are what make us so strong. How do you 
make the juggle work every day. Um, well, I love your questions because um, I feel like they sound like I have it together, which is just a wonderful thing. Thank you. Um, in case you didn't realize from like the interruptions, not like I don't have it together. Um, but you know what? I think, how do I make it work? First of all, every day I have to re-accept the day. Mm. I have to re-accept that this is who I am. This is who my children are. And we are works in progress. And I try to take what I didn't do well yesterday. I try to do better today. I think a key thing is being accountable, uh, being responsible for our mistakes, you know, but especially with the pandemic right now, it's, it's survival day to day. Mm -hmm. I panic every time I think about tomorrow. I can't even think one day ahead. Um, I really, I'm, I'm in today and, and I don't know if today's working so well, but I'm, I'm trying, I'm showing up. I just, I really feel like we need to be gentler on ourselves and remind ourselves we are mirroring and setting an example for our children. All right. I have one final question for you. What advice would you give to your pre-mom self? The first thing that came to mind was don't worry, but that's like ridiculous. (laughs) um, Okay. You know what? I would tell myself, listen to advice from other people. Hear what works for you, what resonates for you, but leave the rest. Because the truth is, no matter what, you and only you know what's best for you and your children. Every child is different. Every person is different. Every family is different. Every circumstance is different. What might work today may not work tomorrow. It's okay. (laughs) You know? Well, thank you so much. It has been really wonderful chatting with you and hearing your words of wisdom and your experience and just learning a little about your life. Thank you so much for having me. Thanks so much for listening. I'm Bridget Garsh, and this is Work Like a Mother. I'm excited to share another amazing Working Mama story with you next week. But before I go, I have a quick favor to ask. Please help us spread the word by giving us five stars on Apple Podcasts. It's the best way for more working moms to discover our show. Thanks, and have a great week.